All right, everybody. So today we have back on the podcast the fathers of 3DMJ. And, you know, actually, I say that figuratively because you guys are the older members, but you are also the only fathers of 3DMJ, right? The actual literal fathers. The coaches are injury uh, reduction specialists. He, he's a father as well. So, yeah. Oh, really? Okay. That's We're not grandfathers yet, so that's a good thing. We're not right, grandfathers right. yet. No. <laughs> the uh, specialists, are you talking about Nick? Yes, yes. correct. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I've talked to him quite a bit on Instagram. Pick up on us because he's got another one coming. He's going to be a father of two, so he'll have both Jeff and I beat. Really? He's <laughs> young, right? What's he in his? He's like mid to late twenties, I guess. Yeah, you know, I'm not sure to be honest with you, Jeff. Do you know? I want to say he's either late twenties or early thirties. If I'm, and if he's older than that, then he's he's doing really good. Yeah, yeah, he looks pretty young. Doing a lot better than we are. <laughs> So, uh, you know, I wanted to get you guys on. I listened to, I guess, not your most recent podcast now, but a couple of podcasts ago, and you're talking about, you know, advanced techniques. And, I mean, there are things that we've heard about and talked about, but, you know, one of the things, one of the ways I generate podcasts here is I will listen to people because I, I follow the industry myself, and so I'll listen to other podcasts. And I'll just think of things where before I had a podcast, I might have a question or a follow-up, but, you know, if I didn't already have something established, I'm not just going to go ahead and like make a video on that. But since it's already kind of like a, a running machine at this point, it's like, hey, you know, I know you guys, like, let's bring you back on and talk about it. Um, and, and so I thought it was an interesting podcast. Both of you have had, I mean, I think, Brad, you're late, like 20 years in the lifting game, right? Like 25 plus years. And I think, Jeff, yeah. you're 34 years in. Is that right? Yeah, the first week of December is going to be 35. Wow. Yeah. And I'm... Uh, 16 years in. So, I mean, between the three of us, we got, you know, 70 plus years of training experience here. So, I'm sure we can have a good talk. <laughs> as long as uh, Jeff's cardio can keep up with it. I, I know. I'm going to have to grab my cane, but I think we'll be good. My jaw, <laughs> I think. I don't think I need a cane for my jaw, but we should be good. <laughs> so, um, one of the things that I had actually, I had a recent controversial podcast, and it was a guy who was basically selling a product, and it had come out, and a lot of people. At first, I'd actually put a little edit in there saying for people watching the podcast, like, just so you know, I'm going to have a follow-up video giving, like, my thoughts on it. And the product was, like, a banned product. Um, ultimately, I, I kind of felt like the guy, I thought having him on, we might have, like, a back and forth and see, like, more reasonable agreement. But ultimately, I, I do feel like it's it was kind of a gimmicky product and sold as this, like, ultimate win, like, better than traditional weight training, which I just don't buy. You know, it was, it was like, basically a banded home workout. But I did want to talk about like accommodating resistance as far as like bands or chains or anything like that. And I, I don't think you guys do too much with that. I know some guys like John Meadows, um, some other trainees do a lot of banded work. For a while in the strength world, Westside was all about bands and chains. Um, but John Meadows uses it from a hypertrophy standpoint. So I want to get your experience there. If you guys have tried it and just kind of tossed it out, or it's just not something you really had an interest in doing. Well, we've definitely been using bands a lot here recently with quarantine, right? right. So not so much we've been actually using the bands for uh, uh, traditional kind of like overspeed eccentric work or overload work, you know, kind of like the, the West Side guys used to do, but we're specifically using the band for resistance, you know? <laughs> um, and I mean, I, 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 obviously the, it's way too early in my opinion to be able to know for sure how effective it is. But at least anecdotally, you know, just kind of using the bands... Um, not only just individually for resistance, but then also for maybe some hypertrophy work, I feel like as long as 
the, the effort is there. Because as we know from the muscle and strength pyramid, that's kind of the two most important things, right? Total number of sets and the effort on each and every one of those repetitions. As long as those two things are met, at least it kind of seems like it would make sense and you could actually progress, you know, with the physique, um, you know, as long as those two things are in place. And so anecdotally, yeah, I mean, I've seen some people that the effort's there. We, we push sometimes beyond failure, even though it's lots of repetitions. Make sure that they're quality repetitions, obviously, and not just, you know, swinging the thing around and, and, and looking, you know, a little bit freakish. Um, but it seems like people have, you know, seen um, some very minute changes in, in, their, in their physique. You know what I mean? Now, obviously, the ones I'm talking about, they're a little bit earlier in their lifting career. They're right. not seasoned, you know, as, as a lot of the folks that we work with. But that's kind of been my experience, at least using bands, you know, for resistance and, and, and kind of hypertrophy-ish ranges um, as we've kind of navigated this, this whole 2020. What yeah. about you, Jeff? What have you experienced? All you got to do is look at Arnold Schwarzenegger his little ch chest pump uh, gimmicky thing. Look at his chest. And I'm being sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> but are we talking like just solely just using a resistance band, like not attaching it to anything? Like we're just talking straight, hey, let's sling this rubber band and try to get some hypertrophy from it. Is that what we're talking about? So let's go both. I mean, I think with the home quarantine workouts, a lot of people are having to go to just bands. Um, but let's even talk also in the gym, you know, a lot of people will say like, let's hook it up to a barbell or I've seen on different machines in order to change the force curves. My, my thought is just like, especially with COVID, like if you told me, Hey, we're going to try to get some hypertrophy with bands prior to COVID, I've been like, Ugh, that's not too fun, you know? Yeah. And even through COVID because a lot of people went from like commercial gyms to now like home gyms and you know just have limited equipment so you know maybe bands is the only thing they have to work with it's like brad was saying it's the effort like it's gravity is gravity and weight is weight so you you have to try to create resistance and the only downside i think with bands if solely with bands if they're not resistant enough then you're going to be just like it's like lifting them with light weight you're going to have to take your rep range so damn, damn high, then the question is, do you have what it takes to push yourself close to the failure or where you need to be in, in order to create a stimulus? And I think it, become, it comes down to mindset with that. Like I know for me, you give me a band and if I have to do like some type of split squat with it or something where I have to go like upwards of 30 plus reps, like I'm probably not gonna go to true failure. I'm gonna gas right. out before I'm even getting to muscular failure. So the question is, is how practical is it? How enjoyable is it? Because that's going to determine someone's effort, in yeah. my opinion. So a lot of it comes down to mindset, like how far are you willing to take it? Yeah, and I'm more open to it when it comes to, you know, adding it to a machine or a barbell where it's helping, you know, it, it's changing the total stimulus, let's say the bottom compared to the top. Yeah, it creates a difference. It creates a better strength curve. Right, right. And that I can, you know, I can get, but... With some of these people trying to do like just banded workouts, to me, you're looking at such an extreme difference between the bottom and the top partial, like the range yeah. of motion that like, like as a squat, for instance, I mean, that'd be very hard to do, I think with a, just a band. But even if you did that by the bottom, it's like, there's just no resistance. There's nothing the there. Top. Yeah. So, exactly. and you know, it's not exactly the same, but when you look at the studies on partial range of motion, which in a way an extreme like level of band tension would be because it's so much more at the top. 
those studies show generally less hypertrophy from the partials compared to full range of motion. So I don't think it's ideal. So even beyond the study, like I said, just going to, like if I take someone in the gym and say, hey, do this partial and you got to do like 50 plus reps, like yeah. that effort is probably not going to be there eight times out of 10. So you're, you're going to lose out on it. So to me, it's like if you're comparing a band versus like just like free weight or, or machines or what have you in the commercial gym, I'm going to put that person with the equipment, not bands. It's like, to yeah. me, a band's like, it's a tool, like you said, David, like to assist other movements to get more out of it, to make it better, but not solely by itself. I don't think it's like, I don't think none of us in the bodybuilding world are going to be like, hey, let's use some bands instead of real weights. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. I mean, you'd be surprised at, uh, like I said, this, this product this guy had, but uh, <laughs> I, I think we all agree there. So um, you guys talked about the difference between some of these more complex exercises and Jeff, you said like even with a curl, you know, you really try to make it as, you know, basically every rep is the same, right, for you and there's a technique to it. Um, how much do you guys think there is that neurological adaptation phase with, let's say, an exercise you've done for 20 years compared to, and but like, you know, it's been out and then recently subbed back in compared to a brand new exercise? Because I do find one of the biggest issues I have with some routines is people will talk about how important it is to change exercises. And to me, it's like I can progress every workout if I just do new exercises, right? I mean, it's like even after 17, 16 years, it's like it's just it's almost amazing. You go in and you just know you're going to add reps, even if it's like, you know, you've done these movement patterns so many times, right? Like how many times have I just pressed from my chest? And yet if there's a new chest press machine in the gym I'm at, I could still be adapting to it over 10 to 12 weeks in my experience and still going up even if my let's say my bench press that's always stays in hasn't gone up at all so it i mean i know some people talk about the adaptation only taking a couple weeks but in my experience it can be months that you're gaining strength without really gaining much size yeah um i think what it kind of boils down to is, is the, the complexity of the movement in relation to how many joints you're using, right? So, like, for example, if you just go in there, Dave, and you just see a fancy new uh, creature curl, right? Um, chances are it's not going to take very long for you to adapt to that creature curl. You know, I could see it with a chest press because, you know, you can kind of wiggle around in there a little bit and try to find the, the best ways to press there, um, but it's a little bit more complex movement than, like, a creature curl, Right? If you're really doing a strict creature curl, I, I feel like that is a pretty simple movement. You know what I mean? And it should not take like 10 to 12 weeks to get continued neurologic adaptation from something like that. Um, or even like I, I used this example, I think, in that particular podcast I'm referring to. Jeff has done, you know, shoot, who knows, tens of thousands, if not millions of cable rows in his life. And if he got away from the cable row for, like, a couple blocks of training and then went back to that, even if it was, like, a different cable or maybe a little bit different setup, I'll bet you he's going to be pretty darn close to that in by the second set. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I think it really kind of depends on the, the context of the entire training system or training block or your program, really. I am I, – I've, I've kind of come – you know, 180 on this. I was kind of that kind of a person who was like, no, don't ever sub anything out because of that same 
very reason that you're talking about. You're halting your your ability to actually get stronger and grow from that exercise when you're going through all those adap neurologic adaptation phases. But I've kind of relaxed a little bit on things like curls, you know, or lateral raises or things like that because they're simple to do. They're not very complex. And so just for the sake of keeping the training enjoyable and enthusiastic, I'm a little bit more liberal with letting people sub those kinds of things out. Or like with Jeff's example, you know, if you if you haven't used a hammer strength machine in a while, but you used it for years, it shortens that neurologic adaptation phase. And I'll bet you you're pretty good at it and actually able to progress, you know, maybe by the third set, you know, or if not that, then at least the next week. So I hope that right. kind of answers that question. It's kind of like, it's not really and or black or white, you know, there's just kind of some nuance in there um, with relation to context of the lifter, how um, simple the exercise is, etc. Does that kind of make sense? For sure. Yeah, and I have more thoughts, but what do you think? I, I think it's, it's like practice makes perfect, right? So if you have someone who's just starting out and they're flipping exercises every other week or every week or every month, like that... It's going to take them longer to learn a variety of exercises. Like from like Brad was saying, I can do, I can do a senior row this month, or I can switch out a row every week or every training session, and I'm going to know the movement like this because I've done the pattern for 35 years. Right. Someone who's just starting out, you said, hey, I want you to do a bent row. Next week, I want you to do a cedar row. The following week, I want you to do a hammer strength high row. By the time they circle back around to that bent row, it's like it's foreign. Like, oh my gosh, like starting all over again. But if they've, they've spent a good amount of time doing a bent row, whether that's two months, a year, whatever, they're going to they're gonna learn the movement patterns. It's like they come back around to it. It's almost automatic. It might take you a week or two to, to kind of get fully acclimated. And then usually for me, like once I do it once, I'm like, okay, I got the pattern down. Then after that, it's like, okay, the load starts to come. So I think it just depends on like experience level with a lifter. Um, someone who's a little more green, I'm not going to have give them more free reign, even if it's a curl. But if we're talking someone who's been in the gym for a year, two years, or whatever, then I might say, okay, we're gonna let's keep more of the compound lifts, the more technical lifts. Let's keep those in longer so you can keep that practice there as long as it's safe for them. And then as far as the isolation exercise, I gave, like Brad was saying, hey. You want to do a preacher curl this week, and next week you want to do a dumbbell curl. So be it, you know, because the chances of, of them really messing that up aren't as great as if they're doing, let's say, a deadlift or a squat or something like that. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know if maybe I'm outside of the norm here, but I, for me, it's any time I change variables, there is this adaptation period where I will again, like I'll say, like I'll gain strength, and I just know I'm not gaining size. And like, so for instance, I <laughs> cut down to probably close to the leanest I've ever been. Um, actually, during COVID, thankfully, I, I had access to you know, a reasonable amount of weight. And I had put straight barbell curls back in as, like towards the end of the workout. And this was like February. I was around 200 pounds. And I had ended the cut around like low 180s. And I was just looking. Actually, I pulled it up here. And I was doing sets. I was like 9, 9, and 9. And I looked like next week, 9, 9, 10, 9, you know, over and over. And then by the end of the cut, I was doing like 11, 11, 12. Now, I've been doing barbell curls since I was, you know, like a kid. You know, I, it's a basic movement pattern. But I don't know if I was just getting used to, okay, now it's in this order compared to before. 
to be fair, maybe my form just got worse, you know, maybe as the cut went on and I wanted to be, you know, maybe I just got a little bit more lax. That's totally yeah. possible. Um, but I know I wasn't gaining size during this cut. You know, I, I yeah. my arms got a little smaller because, you know, I lost 17 pounds. Um, so maybe I'm an anomaly, but it does seem like anytime I change something, there is that adaptation versus like, you know, I tend to do pull-ups first. And unfortunately, my pull-ups have more or less been the same forever. And if I gain a rep, it's like, wow, like that's a big deal for me now to gain an, a, a real solid rep on a pull-up at this point. So, um, but again, it, form differences could be part of that. Well, and you, you talked about an important variable there that sometimes people overlook. You drop 20 pounds. And sure, it's probably not going to be as evident in a curl because you're talking about an isolation movement, right? But you have to kind of remember that there is fat stores in your muscle. It's kind of like those ribbons that we see inside the steak, right? And then there's fat stores kind of behind the muscle, you know, and they're kind of like around the muscle. And, I mean, sometimes leverages do change. I mean, I can kind of relate somewhat to a, a certain extent, Dave, with my um, side lateral raises. Um, I used to get my deltoid heads from every angle I could. You know, I mean, do side lateral raises, do the rear lateral raises, got to do front raise, etc. And when I would cut down from like 185 pounds down to 155, I don't know why, it just, I couldn't even explain it, but it felt different. Lateral raises felt different to me at 155 than they did at 185. And at the time, I just went with it. You know, sure, maybe my form's a little bit more loose. I doubt that I'm stronger now, but, you know, in my mind at the time, not knowing any better, I got to be stronger, right? I'm moving more weight. No, I was probably just a little bit more loose. This mm -hmm. one, yeah, I'm not using as much weight, but maybe now I'm being more strict, right? Mm -hmm. Little things like that, you don't really, really even realize how much it can feel different as your body composition kind of changes. Because things don't move the same. They don't really slide the same. You know, all those little mild fibrils as they're moving over the little fat stores, if that's what they're called, I'm not even sure. That's what they're called, to be honest with you. But that all does kind of make things feel different. You know what I mean? And that kind of just goes to show you why, getting back to your, your example with your bench press and your, 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 your chest press machine, that's the smart way to do it. You integrated something new while you were sticking to your staples. Right. You know what I mean? And I think that's really important. That's something that, that is a, a smart way to do that instead of just abandoning the bench press and going to something completely new. So, Dave, yeah. you said you said your your curl actually improved while yeah. dieting, right? Right. And that could be form. Maybe maybe it's just like, hey, that particular session, you're just like more mentally there. Could That's be part of it. But the thing is, you're not going to grow in a deficit regardless right. of where like that performance is. So it's not like, okay, my calories are down. Okay, my but my reps my reps are up. Now I'm all of a sudden going to grow this muscle. Right. Especially with your experience level. Exactly. Yeah. So if, at the very least, with that improved performance, you're just ensuring yourself like muscle isn't going to go nowhere, and right. that's again that's, depending on your rate of loss as well. Like if it was if it was where it needed to be. Yeah, and that's another thing with the experience. I mean, my muscle retention was almost shockingly good this time, and like to the point that I'm I experimented with some like just stupid things. Like I actually, and most people I just not believe this. I'd say like, you you must be mistracking calories, but. I was doing a thousand calories for two weeks just to see what would happen. And I, every time I tell the story, I say, don't do this. If you're listening to the podcast, don't do that. It's stupid. <laughs> but I just wanted to see. And I actually gained about three pounds, which obviously was water because of like a just extreme stress response. Sure. Um, but I, even then, 
my workouts, I was still hitting the same numbers. And like, I would do the lift and I was like, how is this happening? And I don't know if my body was just like, just shutting down as much as possible to not burn calories. But the point is just after this much time, it was almost like hard to lose real amounts of muscle, you know? How long was that? How long was the experiment for a thousand calories? Yeah. That was two weeks. The total cut was about now, five months. Now, if you would have did four weeks or six weeks, we would probably have a different result. Probably. Yeah, yeah. And it was also so, just mentally, I don't think I could have lasted that long. I mean, it so, was yeah, so, so two weeks, it's, it's kind of since it's acute. It's more acute. Yeah. So mentally, you probably you can tell yourself, okay, yeah, I know calories are low. I'm still going to get after it in the workout because I don't want to lose muscle. So I'm going to train my ass off here. Right. So it's probably enough to keep things pretty steady for two weeks. But I can tell you this. I did my first ever prep six weeks. My calories were, I don't know, like 1,400, whatever it was. No refeed, no nothing. This is like way back when, when you guys were just coming out the womb. That basically, <laughs> six weeks, 30 pounds I lost. And when you look at my physique, I don't know how much of it was muscle, but let's just say it was a lot. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, I would say acutely, a week, two weeks, you can get away with something like that. But you prolong it, yeah, chances are you're going to be like, okay, performance is going to go way down. Uh, not to mention just quality of life, overall energy levels and all that. And you're probably, your physique's going to start to look like you're on 1,000 calories. Yeah. No, it was bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I give, you, I give you props for trial and error. I love that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, it, it it wouldn't I wouldn't recommend it, but it was it was kind of amazing. Like I would come home and I would have like a ten cup protein shake that was two hundred calories total, just to get volume. I would finish that, and then I'd have another one. So I was constantly waking up to pee because I just was trying to fill up with volume. I mean, like it, it was just a different person mentally. Like you think back and you're like, how were I? How was I having those thoughts? And I mean, I know you guys know this. Obviously, having done how many contest preps you've done, it's just. It really is amazing the psychology that changes there when you just really get into that like kind of starvation mode. Yeah, it's kind. Of, I remember. I remember Berto or Berto, like Brad. I remember when Berto would talk about like it's a skill to train while in a deficit. Mm -hmm. At first, I was like, "What's he talking about?" You know. Then I want to think back to all my preps and then think about how I manage my athletes through preps, especially as the deficit gets a little more invasive and it's like deeper into it, they're leaner. Like it is a skill to train with that. Like you know, you have to change things. You have to change exercise selection. You have to change rep ranges because um, you're trying to manage that overall demand there. So you're trying to maximize your performance, keep yourself safe in order to get that, retain that muscle mass to keep you going strong through it. So it's definitely, a, in my opinion, it's definitely a skill, I think, from the athlete yeah. side of things as well as from coaching's uh, perspective as well. For sure. Yeah, yeah. and that's, that's, that's one of the reasons why my big focus, like my big focus for 2020 has been all about, like, super quality motivated training, you know, because like you just experienced, could you have possibly really performed better in that environment? No. Maybe, maybe not, but your mindset definitely had something to do with that, you know. And so whatever we can do sometimes to keep that, that motivation there. Um, and, yeah, just that's, that is huge when it comes to getting good quality sessions continuously, you know, yeah. all the time. That's been my focus this year is just really good quality, enthusiastic, motivated training as much as we can because the mind does play a big part of that. And like Jeff said, that's a skill. That you have to develop adjusting to changes in, in leverages adjusting to you know new body weight adjusting to having to knowing when to adjust rep range rep targets loads rpe 
all that stuff. You know, that's all the skill that it definitely is, is something that I wish that I had <laughs> when I was <laughs> like my first time going through a bodybuilding prep. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to delve into like the concentrated training. It's real quick. I want to touch on something you said, Brad, about like the lateral raises. And for me, lateral raises, like there are just certain exercises and, you know, Jeff, I know you're, you're so big on the form that maybe for you, every exercise is like this, but I feel like there's certain exercises where when I improve, like, I just know, like, that was legitimate strength improvement. Like, last week, I did an overhead press, and I know that, like, I keep my form very tight um, when I'm doing these particular sets, and I went up a rep, and I was like, that was an actual improvement, versus, like, a lateral raise, I, maybe I just get loose. I just find it very easy from one week to the next as I try to push for that extra rep that, like, maybe I just got a little bit more lax, and, you know, now it's been 12 weeks, and my form at the end of that 12 weeks really doesn't look like the form at the mm-hmm. start because I've been chasing that progress, which, you know, with a lateral raise, you know, after so many years, how much weight are you really going to be adding, you know? So let me, yeah, let me Jeff, give you my thoughts Jeff, on that. Yeah. Jeff, so, you know, I'm like the form stickler guy, right? And I'm actually like the, everybody calls me the low volume guy. Yeah. So to me, what makes more sense is, hey, maintain your form, how to set. Hmm. You're going to get, so if you do, okay, let's say you're doing three sets, right? Okay, I'm trying to get more reps, but now all of a sudden I can't do it with that form, like with perfect form, so now I'm going to start cheating these reps up. I'm going to use momentum to get them. But instead of doing that, just say, okay, let me just add one more set. Do the same form so you know every rep you're doing is of high quality. You're getting everything out of that muscle, but now you're, you're just out of set. It's the most practical way to get a little bit more out of yourself with that exercise. What do you do though the next week though? Like that's one week of progression, but now it's week five. Do three sets of ten, right? It's perfect. Or nine, right? Okay, now you go. Okay, now I want to do four sets. Four set, you're like ah, maybe you squeak out seven or eight reps, right? RP eight and a half. Well, now you build that four set until you can get all the way up to ten. That's going to take you a long while to get there. And a lateral, it's like an it's a it's an isolation exercise. So it's not like you're going to see these drastic weekly progressions with it. So it might take you a month, two months to make that fourth set like look like the third. Yeah. And once you get there, like maybe it's five sets at that point. And and the thing with lateral raises, like Jeff, I, I think one time you said that you've done lateral raises for the better part of three years now, and you've never gone up with weight. I haven't. I've been doing lateral. I, I, well, one, I don't like lateral raises personally because I just don't <laughs> feel good mind muscle connection with it. I had it's kind of a love hate relationship because at times I need it because of like shoulder aches and pains and things like that. But yeah, I mean, when I first started training to all the way until my thirties or whatever, it's like you're talking like twenty years of training. I was using anywhere between twenty on a good day a thirty-five pound dumbbell for a lateral, but it's usually like twenty to thirty. Right. And even now, it's the same, 20 to 30. That's what I mean. Like, there's just some exercise that's like, you know, you're just not going to be using these heavy weights. I, I don't know if that's even where you should be looking for your progression after it. Sometime it's almost like this is throwing in some extra volume. But, like, if I get a rep on a bench press, like, okay, that's great, you know, progress for my chest. I'm not necessarily trying to put on, like, 80-pound dumbbells for flies and, and going up for that. You know what I mean? And that's, that's, that's exactly the point right there. You know, your side level raises, your flies, and things like that. That's all your bodybuilding work that really almost doesn't have to progress. It's got to be there, but it doesn't necessarily have to, you know, to progress. Because you've got all the other parts of your program that you usually have some sort of a progression plan. You get an extra rep on your bench press. You know, maybe you can get a primary set that's heavier than normal, 
and then you do all your back offsets kind of to your regular volume that you have programmed, right? The, the, the context of the whole program, you're progressing. Even though the lateral raise, the, the fly, yeah, you're probably not. It's still important. you got to get that volume in there. But is it really important to progress on those? Eh, maybe, maybe not. You know, I think but, it's probably more important to progress on your, your big compounds where you're actually programmed for progression. Even frequencies and everything, like not just adding the set, but even, okay, let me do those things like, so two times a week, let me do them three or even four or even five because, I mean, they're not that an invasive exercise. It's not like after doing three sets of ten for four days of those, you're going to be like, oh, gosh, I can't wake up anymore. I'm too tired. Yeah. So... <laughs> So it's that's another way to to increase the demand of the exercise to might you might get more out of it. Um, right. So it just kind of depends. But like the way I kind of look at exercise selection, okay, what's going to give me the most bang for my buck? Like where I can get good mind muscle connection and get a lot out of the exercise. Um, it's safe to do and what I enjoy what I actually enjoy doing. Because like again, I hate laterals. So if I don't have to do them, I'm not going to do them because if I have them in there, and I got, I was in a debate with some guy on my YouTube video over this. Like, he's, oh, you can do laterals. It's less invasive than overhead press. You do overhead. You can get your delts developed through the other pressing movements. Um, so basically, it's just making a case, you know, as far as fatigue ratio, which on paper makes sense. But for me, it's like mentally, if I do a lateral raise, I'm not going to, I'm not willing to push myself. Mm -hmm. But on overhead press, I love overhead press. So I'm more willing to push, and I can just alter elbow positioning to hit my my medial delts or what have you to to cover my bases. But I think there's just a lot of context when it comes to training, and, and I think Brad touched us on this earlier. It's not a black or white. There's like there's so many shades of gray to kind of sure. look at. Sure. So there was a story you had told Jeff, and like immediately when you told it, I was like, I gotta talk to you about this story. Uh, and not, uh, not like to call you out <laughs> or anything. It's just you know maybe just to go into it. So this is the story that I've heard from countless bodybuilders over the years. And it goes something like, you know, I train so intense and, you know, you don't <laughs> know what it's like to train with me and then, you know, come to work out with me. And this person just died when they worked out with me. And I'm sure, you know, I'm sure that story happened. It's more just like, I kind of laugh because I just, I've heard it so many times and it makes me wonder, is this just an area where, you know, sometimes when you've been doing something for so long, you kind of forget what like, the average person's perspective is, right? We're all watching YouTube, everybody's got a three to 400 pound bench press and you know, 17 inch arms and like, you kind of forget like, oh, you go in the real world and like, that's actually really impressive. And I, I don't know if it's the athletic background, but for, for me, even from a very young age, I always stuck by, like I remember being on the forums when I was like 14, 15, and people tell me that because I was young, I didn't know how to push hard. And I remember that annoying me because, again, I was an athlete from when I was, like, five. So I was always pushing very hard. And, I, I mean, I literally had leg days where trainers would come up to me and ask me if I was okay because I was just, like, passing out, like, on the floor. <laughs> and so when I hear people say, like, oh, the average person doesn't know how to push themselves, I think, really? Like, do they not? Because even, like, my brother, you know, I, he got into training way later than me, but he was pushing herself very hard and I remember my mom even got into training and I mean I saw her doing this set now there's there's a difference between your effort and then what you can actually do obviously as you get more and more advanced you can push your body harder but what I mean is like they were as much as they could pushing hard and yet I constantly hear so many people talk about 
the average person just doesn't know how to push. So maybe if people didn't hear the podcast, but you could just briefly say like what your experience was with the person. Let me, give, the yeah, let me let me give the context. Yeah, yeah. So at the time, this was like when I worked on the auto plant. This was pre-internet days. So there was no forums. So it was just basically, hey, just your your local gym. So the the, the guys at my at the auto plant, because I was like, you know, the big fish in the little pond there. So it's like they'd ask me questions all the time. And at the time I was doing Mike Mentor Dorian Yates hit. So I kind of you know, tailored it to my liking, like a couple sets to failure. On occasion, I do like static holds, negatives. Um, like it was really intense. Like, and like when I talk intense, go watch Brad Loomis's videos before 3DMJ. Like, like he's screaming, ah, like, like <laughs> getting after. So it's like that. I trained in that fashion. So everything was done to like until I just could not move. So when people would ask me like how you train, I would describe it. Like I do a couple sets to failure and people at the time, like they're just like, how do you get that development you have with that little, like only two sets? Like that's right. always only two sets. So I was like, okay, come to the gym because they don't have experience training in that fashion. It was more like traditional, like, you know, three, four or five sets, lots of volume. Of course, naturally the intensity isn't going to be super high when you're, you have high volume. So I was like, hey, just try it. Um, and most of the people that I took could not handle it. Yeah. So it wasn't like, I'm not saying everybody, like I'm saying to everybody, hey, you don't train as hard as I do. Right. It was more like these, the context with these individuals, they have zero experience with high intensity training. Right. So a lot of times with my athletes now, it's like, okay, we can do five sets, but we can't go to failure on all five sets because you're not going to last. Like, right. I wouldn't last. Like, not too many people are going to be able to endure that. So, they, okay, two or three sets, higher intensity levels. You can get just as much, if not more, doing three harder sets versus five lower sets or less volume or less intensity, yeah. I should say. Yeah. And these are, Brad will even vouch for me. I've even asked Eric these questions in our team meetings, doing the R&D. I'm like, hey, if I do this many sets with this RP and I do this, this, what's good? That particular session, which one's better? And he goes, can't quantify it. Right. So to me, it's like, I'm not saying like a low volume, high, high intensity is better than high volume, lower intensity, because I think there can be a blend of the two worlds um, and should be a blend of the two worlds. Yeah. depending on context but yeah i'm not someone who's going to say hey hey bro you don't train as hard as <laughs> no nah, i'm mostly just busting your chops but because like i like to train like that personally i've always been you know i've done the high volume routines i never felt like i got anything more out of them and like i've, I've tried you know everything under the sun it just i don't know it seemed like i could adapt to it just fine but i mean my probably my best example was i did a pull-up specialization phase so it was something like I don't know, 20-some sets of pull-ups per week, 30-plus sets for back. During that time, I had, like, a very minor pec issue, and so I just dropped my pressing down to, I think it was two or four sets per week total. During this six-week period, my back and my chest strength went up the same. So I was doing 30-plus versus, like, four sets, and my incline dumbbell bench was going up as much as my other back exercises. Pull-ups went up a little bit more. Obviously, I got better at the technique doing that many sets. But point is, like, it's not that I can't do the higher volume. I just don't seem to get that much out of it. And I also just, I am somebody who, again, I, I chase progress. I like to push myself very intensely. And so for me, I would rather do two, three sets 
all out knowing I put everything in there. Then she just kind of like, okay, I had three reps left in the tank on that one, and then two reps left in the tank. I've done it. I just don't enjoy it as much. Like, I can look at back in, like, my 2010 offseason, and, and that was the last offseason where I was doing hit. It was before 2011 season, Brad, remember? I was well over 200 pounds. I was, like, 203, 204. I had a lot of size. And I went through the contest season in 2011. I was 10 pounds heavier than the, the prior contest season. So everybody's like, whoa, where did that offseason come from? Here's this 38-year-old going to 40 years old. Now he put 10 pounds of muscle on. But it wasn't just like, I can't, now it wouldn't be fair to me just say, hey, that was hit. Yeah. yeah right. was the int- it was more to do with how I dieted down. I retained a lot more muscle mass because I got, I got more knowledgeable in the dieting process. And then that, you fast forward to 2013, that offseason, same thing. I was stout, big, just as big as 210, maybe bigger, who knows. But the training approach was different. It was, it was kind of a combination of the two. There was moments where I was, like, pushing really hard with lower volume. There's other times where I had, like, I remember doing, like, the big three. I would do a bench, then I'd do, like, five back offsets. I would do deadlifts and I do back offsets. So, and I, and I just the accessories were similar to what I was doing with hit. So it's just a combination of both worlds. And then in 2014, when I competed, I died down. I got even better with the process of dieting down, and I probably retained just a little bit more muscle. But I think at that point, at 43, I was pretty much close to the ceiling with potential. Yeah. So it's like I can we can we can probably all say and look back on our career and go. I'm better, I've gotten better as I've gone along, but is it really just the one variable that you think it really was, or was it a combination of all the variables? Because your knowledge and skill level with all these tools have gotten better through the years. In yeah. my opinion, I think for a lot of us, it's, it's the latter. It's like we've gotten better through a plethora of variables. That season where you gained like 10 pounds, that's actually the first time I had heard anything about 3DMJ because I have a buddy, Steve, who I guess we've been talking about lifting for, geez, I don't know, eight plus years now. And he pointed you guys out to me and he said, like, you know, look at this guy. He gained 10 pounds in a season. And I was like, well, he's obviously not natural. He's been lifting for like 20 that was plus good. years. That guy's on sauce. And, well, and you know, <laughs> a, some good pizza sauce, man, because I'm a town. <laughs> without knowing the context, I was like, yeah, he's not going to put on 10 pounds of muscle after that much time. And then um, he was like, no, you know, if you know these guys, like, they're all about, like, natural training. He's definitely natural. And then as it came out, we realized, like, yeah, well, he didn't gain necessarily 10 pounds of new muscle. He retained that muscle, which is obviously when you come down to the competition, just as important. But that makes a lot more sense than 10 pounds of new muscle tissue after, you know, 25 years of training. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and one thing, too, Dave, if you don't mind me taking a, a, a bit of a tangent. Sure. Uh, I kind of want to talk about reps and reserve because Jeff has, in my opinion, probably one of the most intuitive um, approaches to, to, to RPE and RIR. And I think that's extremely important. It's like kind of like the difference between a guy that's a good motorcycle rider and a guy that rides good. You know what I mean? A guy that rides good, he learned how to do certain things. You know, he learned how to look where he needs to go and not, you know, just intuitively the writer he doesn't even have to know that he just does it you know what i mean that's kind of the difference jeff he doesn't need to know what rpe and rir is he just does it 
I know, do know what it is, but I don't need to know it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And, and when you see Jeff Lift, you would know what I'm talking about. He knows what RPE is, not because he's learned about it. It's just an intuitive thing that he's able to do. People will say, okay, there's two reps in reserve right there. And I'll say, no, there's not. Do another one. Yeah. And they'll yeah. do another one. Okay, that's got two reps in reserve. And I'll say, no, there's not. Do another one. You know, Finally, four reps later, that one repetition, the last one they did, finally slowed down. Now you've got one or two reps maybe in hey, reserve. Hey, check and this. It, oh, so I'm not going to say the athlete, but on Friday I had a Skype call. And it was a lap pull down. So I'm watching it with the athlete live. So he, he filmed it, recorded it. So I watched it, watching it together. And he got the, the set was done. So I asked, and the form was like he wasn't getting full range of motion. So that was one thing. Like, hey, we can, we can get more with more range of motion there. Then the other one was, I go, so where do you, how many reps do you think you had left there? He's like, that was two. And I was like, you had five. <laughs> So that's what I'm kind of saying is like, okay, do we really need to focus on all like adding a bunch of sets all the time or can we improve quality and actually yeah. do less sets but get just as much if not more out of less sets? And that's like, that's one example. Um, and taking it into con context of programming, um, that's one example where, hey, we can actually, you can push the intensity more so. Yeah. Um, so... Just to quick, quickly add, like basically what I did with some of his isolation exercises in the programming was like, because the three sets we're only doing, I said first two sets, one to two reps in reserve, last one I want you to take it to the house. Laterals, curls, like safer exercise so he can get experience on pushing himself further. Right. Yeah, and, that, and I think, go ahead, bro. Well, I was just going to say that's one thing that I learned watching Jeff was what true RPE is, what true two reps in reserve were, you know what I mean? And more so kind of kind of judging RPE by the speed of the load that it is that you're moving. You know what I mean? I always watch Jeff and everyone is roughly the same speed. And then all of a sudden the rep kind of slows down just a little bit. But it was still just as pristine as the previous five or six or seven, right? And then if he's really feeling good and he's really pushing hard, he'll push another one that like crawls. And he's just, you know, he's composed. It looks just like the previous one. But now, finally, either it, it kind of it came up a little bit short, you know, or it was a super crawly rep. And so that's what I'll try to explain to people. Keep doing repetitions perfectly until you get to that one that is visibly slower. Now right. you know that you're close to failure. And it never fails. When people do that or they'll record videos, videos are a great way to know it. Because people will be like, man, I would have swore I only had one or two left and it didn't even slow down. <laughs> and if they're pushing themselves until that rep finally slows down, they kind of find out, man, I did five more when I thought there was like one or two left, you know. Or even like Jeff's, like he was talking about with his lateral raises. People will be really strict and then all of a sudden they're doing that little kick. They're doing that little motion, you know what I mean? I'm like, you know what? You failed three reps ago. As soon as you started doing that, that would have been a slower rep and you would have gotten more quality out of that one rep than the three junky ones that you just did, you know? And when you start adding up all that junk volume, those crappy repetitions or those ones where you were swinging or the ones that you stopped when you only had like probably five reps in reserve and you thought it was one, 
you start adding that all up, now we're starting to figure out, oh, that's why Jeff can get by with such little volume. There's it's, no junk. There's no wasted effort when Jeff. It's like it's like that little kid, like my son with his, his pancakes, and he's putting he's putting the Hershey syrup on the pancake. I'm like. <laughs> If you keep putting more in there, that's going to taste like shit. That pancake's going to be shitty. So just stop right there. That's a good quality pancake. And if you want more, hey, let's put another pancake on your plate. So that's why I said, Dave, do another set. So I just <laughs> so you don't you guys, eat a bunch of shitty pancakes. I uh, I don't know, man. There's no such thing as too much syrup for me. So <laughs> <laughs> so I sent you guys. If you can, look, are you able to look at the chat in uh, the Skype here? I probably can. Yeah, I saw it pop up there. So if you click that link, so I think, tell me what you think. My form clearly gets lax. So it shows two reps. This is like a set of 12. I would think that if you look at like the first rep it shows, which is rep 11, that's probably an actual zero RIR. And then I let my form get a little bit loose. <laughs> um, but to me, I still like to... Because sometimes I'm, I'm like, was that really my last one with good form? And, and you can usually tell, but I don't mind, especially for a curl where it's not going to be like super taxing. Sometimes I like to just see if I can get that last little bit out. So you guys can let me know what you think. You know, like before even watching it, my thought like before even watching it is like, like watching form is kind of like subjective, like watching people pose. Yeah. It, it, I mean, unless it just looks totally unsafe. Yeah, I mean, I, as I'm watching it now, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm leaning quite a bit. Um, but I, I also, I don't know, for curls, like, I guess I'm okay with the looser form. Like I said, that, that first one was probably my true zero RIR. And then I'm just like, <laughs> Yeah, because you can see that last one. There, there's a couple things that you did there to get that rep out. Now, obviously, yeah. that is a safe one. A curl, that's a safe one that you can go beyond technical failure right you can see you kind of dip down just a little bit you know yeah it's changing leverage to make it happen just changing it a little bit but imagine yeah. if you were underneath a squat or a bench press and you were at that zero rr and then tried to do another one that, that would be a no-go yeah that's a water you know <laughs> how yeah. many reps did you do you said was that? that was my i did 12 total so you're seeing 11 and 12 mm -hmm. i mean for for the way you're grinding that i thought I mean, yeah, I mean, naturally, like, you couldn't lift it clean anymore. So it's like, hey, let me get a couple more reps so I have to, I have to dip and change leverages. But you're in control and command the whole time. Like, yeah. to me, it didn't look safe. And the way you change leverage was actually safe because if you would have tried to force it with, like, a straighter torso, then you're going to mm -hmm. put a tremendous amount of pressure on your lower back. Right, right. So I think if you, like, that is not, like, in my book, like, if you're doing that, every time like it's a safe way and it's consistent that's how you do it then i don't see anything wrong with that now if it was like hey you're swinging for the trees like tarzan to get those last two reps yeah and like dave come on man let the ego go just put right. the weight down yeah but no i thought it was for the way it looked i thought it was safe and composed so yeah. and i will also say go ahead that your bicep is still moving the weight there you know what i mean yeah you dipped a little bit to kind of help it but at least your bicep was still moving it you know what I mean? It wasn't like you were using momentum through the bottom, like two thirds right. of repetition. Yeah. Yeah. Then when you got to the sticking point, you leaned back so far that it was actually just kind of gravity that like flopped <laughs> far. Right, right. You, you, know? you weren't hitching. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's a good yeah. way to put the it. The hitching, like you see, like a lot, like especially with a lot of back movements, you see a lot of hitching, like the mm-hmm. jerking of the hips, or the, they'll use the lower back to jerk the weight to get it moving. Yeah. Uh, so to, I always try to clean people's form, especially on back movements. Like, hey, because you know, one, you're using momentum, and two, if your leverage is out of whack, then you're going to be using more arms, shoulders, that type of thing. Um, so, so back movements, I'm a little bit more of a stickler. Like that one, I would be like, eh, that's not too bad. That wasn't that bad. Yeah, and I think um, going back, you guys have obviously trained tons of people, and so I see the experience of how hard they're pushing. And so uh, two examples. One is when I was in college and I was helping do research, and so we brought in people who were more or less completely untrained. And, of course, in those situations, I mean, they really, you know, trying to teach them how to do a squat, they obviously were not really, like, pushing failure. It was so much technique. But even when I was in dental school, there was a friend of mine, still a close friend, who he was big into lifting. And we were doing, if you guys know, like DC training uh, by Dante Trudell. And it's like very high intensity. And then after, it's basically rest, pause. And then after you're done, you go into a really intense stretch. And I mean, the stretches are supposed to be like, you know, fully pumped up muscle, very difficult. And for the upper body sessions, like he would hang with me. But on the lower body, like he would just stop. Like, he would use, like, half the weight on leg press, and he would just, and I was like, dude, like, you didn't even look like you were pushing. And then we'd go into a, to the stretch, and he'd just kind of, you know, just get a little bit of stretch and be done. And I was like, I was like, this is supposed to really hurt. And he was just like, meh. And <laughs> so I guess, like, it was just a different mentality for me who's like, no, like, I have to beat the logbook kind of mentality. Yeah. But I do realize not everybody's like that. Yeah. Specific movements for me, like leg curls. Like when I was younger, for some reason, I could just grind that. Like you were doing those curls, like I could just grind that. But the last couple of years, it's almost like I'll, like the first set, I'll get 10, maybe one in the tank. The second set, it's like, oh, that was seven. And I just, it's for whatever reason, my hamstring says, no, that's it, you're done. <laughs> and as I look like kind of the guy I talked about in our podcast where I said he quit. I'm like, I called, I'm like, He's like, I can't. That's like, that's what I look like on those hamstring <laughs> curls now. And it's not because I, I don't want to push. It's just literally my hamstring just stops. It's just like, hey, that's it. You're gassed. Like, do you feel like you're gonna get an injury, or just it's just not no, moving? It just doesn't move. It's just gassed huh. for whatever reason. Interesting. Um, yeah. So it's like you now. What I've know, like what I know now is like on the first set, like okay, I need to leave like two or three in the tank so I can get three mm-hmm. decent sets otherwise i do one hard one second one's like really shitty like okay yeah. i just went from like 10 down to seven or 12 down to nine or something and then the third set forget about it my hamstring's like you know you're not doing anything yeah right <laughs> the uh last topic i wanted to wrap up on was a discussion I, I had with that same friend who showed me your transformation pictures jeff he and i had talked a little bit about you know obviously a lot of people are having training layoffs with everything going on and he is big on like traditional bulk and cut cycles and he feels like if somebody had let's say taken six months off from the gym and they had just you know lost a lot of muscle maybe gained some fat that if they were to just try to recomp so they just kind of ate maintenance calories and even if they were back at the gym for like a year that they would never get back to their peak size and he thinks that the best way to do it would be to go back into a legitimate like bulking gaining phase get the size back and cut i i don't know i think you could probably get a lot of that size back even at maintenance but i i tend to agree it's i mean it certainly seems faster to go into a bulking phase so what do you guys think do you think it'd be possible or do you think you'd have to go back into a new gaining phase for somebody who's pretty experienced 
I'll let Brad go first. Oh, I was going to just say, I'm going to let Jeff go first. <laughs> okay. You want me to go first? Yeah. Age, be I'll age you before go. beauty? Yeah. Okay. Since I'm the older guy here. Not by a lot, though. Brad, you're Not right behind me. Yeah. So I can give you personal experience that I, on myself. Yeah. So I had a four-month layoff, and this was in 20, so the end of 2012, because that's when my son was born. I just stopped training. And I was eating too much at the same time. So I, I lost muscle and gained fat. Well, actually, it was like the first time I actually like truly lost size. And that was what, how many years? I don't know, 20 some odd years, almost 30 years of training. No, yeah, 20 something. But anyways, so well advanced. I lost a lot of size and I was pretty out of shape. You remember that? You remember that, Brad? I was pretty bad. I remember Eric even got mad at me because like, Jeff, come on, you got time to train at least once per week. Yeah. Because that probably would have held on to my size. If I did a full body workout once per week with intent, yeah. I almost guarantee I probably wouldn't have lost any size. So long story short, four months out, I was down. It literally took me one month to get everything back. And wow. I wasn't purposely trying to eat more. I was probably eating actually a little bit less than I was. But I ensured I was covering my big rocks. Like I made sure I was getting enough protein in, making sure I was getting enough recovery. Um, and that muscle memory is a thing. Like literally a month later, I remember Alberto saying, holy shit, where'd that come from? That was fast. Yeah. All my strength came back within that month. Fast forward like two, three, four months later, I was hitting like all PRs on my big three. With, well, not my bench, but my squat and dead. Like that, the and that was more or less. Like so, you weren't really gaining body weight. I mean, it was mostly every. No, I was. I was about two. I want to say I was like two twelve at my fattest, like oh, wow. untrained. And by the time I was done, I think I was about two ten ish, two oh eight, somewhere in there. So I actually lost a little bit of weight, but that's just because I cleaned. Like instead of eating fast food stuff all the time, it was like I cleaned things up. Okay. Still eating a decent amount of calories, but not definitely not in a deficit. Right. Right. So I would say more or less maintenance. Yeah. Yeah, I never, yeah. like you, like you said, that was the first time you ever lost muscle. I've been consistent since I started lifting. Um, I had the longest I've ever not lifted was a month after I had surgery. And even then, I, I shouldn't have, but I still went to the gym and, and tried to lift a little bit. So I've just never taken a long enough period off to really be able to give a relevant anecdote. I don't know, but what about you, Brad? Well, and, and Jeff pretty much hit the, the nail on the head there is that he didn't purposely lose weight you know what i mean um and that's kind of my biggest advice to people is you don't really necessarily have to quote unquote bulk and just probably don't try to lose weight you know what i mean if you could just kind of i don't even care if it's technically eating at maintenance you know what i mean just don't lose weight because i mean and jeff's a, a, a very high responder to training so like every rep he does it seems like it's it's it, the benefit from that is like worth five of yours or my reps you know what i mean dave but still, it just goes to show you that just getting those weights going again, he was reclaiming all of that muscle that he lost in a relatively period of time. And I remember the, the conversation that we were having in this particular gym. Jeff was wearing a San Francisco Giants jersey, if I remember right. And it was like he had just, it like he'd never even left. You know what I mean? And he'd only trained for like a month. And so my advice to people is like, even during quarantine training, you know, you're, you're still training, but you're training with a band. We're kind of coming full circle, right? We're going back to a band now. But you're training with a band, and you're doing hundreds of repetitions of push-ups, hundreds of repetitions of body weight and split squat, like that. When you go back into the gym, 
just don't lose weight. You know, you don't have to bulk. You don't even really have to really eat a quote-unquote maintenance. Just don't lose weight and get your training going because now that you're doing these repetitions with more appropriate load, you're going to be reclaiming all of that muscle again. And if you gain a little bit of weight, so be it. You're training with appropriate loads. You're probably getting a little bit of that lean tissue back again. You know what I mean? And so I'm kind of a little bit more loose with it. I just tell people, just don't lose weight. You know, I mean, and when I say weight, I mean, I'm not going to stick giving it weight. Don't lose five pounds. You know what I mean? Right. If you lose two pounds over the course of like three weeks, yeah, I'm not going to split hairs over that. But don't, I guess I should say don't lose significantly. Yeah. But in context too, like just my situation was, I would say body fat percentage, I was over 20% body fat. Yeah. So there's plenty of energy on my body. Well, but if let's say on the flip side, I lost muscle and let's say I was on the leaner side, then I would probably say, okay, I need to make probably make sure I, I am eating in a surplus in order yeah. to pick that muscle back up. So you don't be well fueled for your training. Like if you're just super lean, you haven't trained for like six months, now you're trying to get back muscle back, but you're eating like a bird still and you're super right. lean, you ain't gonna get that size back. It's gonna take a lot longer. Yeah, so that's exactly again, what I said. Think, you think about supply and demand. You know, you have to make sure your supply is outpacing the demand if you want to put some size on. Yeah, I think I said to him, I agree with you, like the closer you are to your genetic peak and like the leaner somebody is. So yeah, if somebody was like 7% yeah. body fat, I think that's going to be a lot harder. But when you think about it, like, yeah, some of these, you know, powerlifters, they were just bigger guys, got into lifting. They didn't intentionally bulk a lot of time. If they've been doing it for a long time, they might have. But sometimes they just lifted, gained a lot of muscle. And in that situation, presumably, if they took a layoff, then once they got back to it, they would gain the muscle back. And I think, like you said, if you're 20% or even 15% body fat, I think it's much more likely you're going to be able to get that size back. You'll have an easier go at it, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even my brother, he he had probably five years of, like, really serious lifting. Um, you know, he was getting close to my size, and I was getting a little little worried he was going to surpass me for a minute there. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> thankfully, never never quite did it. But he now, I mean, the thing is, he is not consistent at all now. He, I don't even know if he still has his gym membership, but he has some weights at home. And it's kind of amazing because his body fat is higher, how much of that size, now his like overall physique is worse because his body fat is so much higher, but it's kind of amazing how much muscle he's retained. Like with clothes on, he kind of looks about the same size, you know? And I think if he was back in it seriously for a couple months, he'd be, you know, back to peak size and strength pretty quickly. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, this is going just over an hour now. I want to be respectful of your time. I really appreciate you guys making the time to have this talk. And uh, where can people find more of your stuff? Brad? Yeah, you can find the, the, the team, which is where I kind of try to direct everybody to. We're on YouTube, Team 3DMJ, Instagram, Team 3DMJ, the website, 3DMuscleJourney.com. That's where you'll find all of our coaching outlets, I guess you might say. Uh, and then we've got a lot of uh, free help, paid help, etc. at 3DMJVault.com. Um, visit those, those. I think, the, the team stuff first. Because we're always putting out good content. We've got a great content manager. Her name is Andrea. She's really good at keeping stuff up and really good, useful content. And then, you know, once you check them out, if you want to go check out 3DMJ Coach on any of those, you can. But uh, you're not going to find as good a content there as you're going to find at the team stuff. Jeff's is a little bit better, though. <laughs> How about you, Godfather? 
everything Brad said, Instagram, uh, 3DMJ Godfather. Yeah. You can watch me do those reps in reserve to failure. I'm going to start tricking Brad, though. So what I'm going to do now, before we go, I'm going to trick Brad. I'm going to pretend. I'm like, that's the last one, Brad. And then I'm going to do five more. (laughs) 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 And if you get all buy it, because I'm very gullible. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks, guys.